Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy. I'm a neurodiverse software developer turned startup founder, building habit and focus software for people with ADHD. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I get to sleep on time to do my three hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 23 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're thrilled to be joined by Lisbeth Sanchez today. Lisbeth comes with a diverse background as a community coordinator, communication specialist, tutor, assistant lead, private educator, and assistant producer. Through her various roles, she has gained valuable experience in organizing events and resource fairs, providing guidance, creating engaging social media content, conducting surveys, delivering lessons and activities, and overseeing production activities. Lisbeth has also excelled in recruiting volunteers and members, establishing strong partnerships with vendors and nonprofit organizations, and ensuring proper recognition for sponsors and donors. Academically, Lisbeth holds a Bachelor of Arts in Communications with a minor in Mass Media from Fresno State University. Her knowledge extends beyond her academic achievements as she possesses extensive expertise in the fields of education and psychology. Currently, Lisbeth is actively pursuing additional education to further enrich her background. Welcome to the show, Lisbeth. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. So to start off with, we're keen to hear about your experience with neurodiversity. When did you realize you weren't neurotypical and what was it like in the process of discovering? That's such a silly question. I feel like when I think we all kind of know that we have something going on or something is different. We obviously know that we're not. um, I feel like most of us, you know, we know we're really smart, but we're like, okay, so I know I'm not delayed in my learning skills, but you know, you're different growing up. And I always kind of knew because um, I would get very bored very easily during school. And um, I guess to my advantage, I always grew up reading books because my parents were avid readers. And so I remember I would hide books under my desk because I would be so bored in class, right? I always knew that. Um, And then I guess for me um, in high school, it got really, really bad because from, I would say from kindergarten, which I think is primary education all the way into like junior high, which in the United States, I'm from California. It's like um, go from K through six. So it's, those are your first years. Then you exchange over to um, seventh and eighth grade, right? And so 
from there you graduate on to high school, right? And high school is four years, you know. I know it's different, different countries. And it was really interesting because I would get in trouble so much all the time. And it wasn't your typical get in trouble because they're misbehaving kid. I would just would zone out and would do my own thing, you know. And I remember the teachers in high school would kick me out of their class and would send me to the principal office, which is like the authority leadership. Um, I'm, I guess like the supervisor in the whole school system, he'd be like, why are you being kicked out? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't. I'm just not interested. I don't talk back. I just have no attention span when it comes to subjects that I'm not interested in. And he would just send me back. Right. So I guess that's when we knew. And I think growing up as a millennial, as somebody, I'm 30 years out, 30 years old now. It was very a very taboo subject where my mom knew that you know, but she was kind of scared of being put in a special education class because she kind of knew if I say she has ADHD, they're might going to put her in another class. So there's always that taboo system. And it was a very new thing, you know, a very new illness where like, I mean, into this day, it took me such a long time to get into medications because there was that I was scared, you know, of all the stuff I was reading online. Um, so there was that, you know, so I've always kind of knew that there was something different, but I didn't know what it was because in school, what also delayed me and getting diagnosed with ADHD was also the fact that the teachers would be like, you're really smart, though. You're really smart. You 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 don't have ADHD because ADHD people don't, you know, they're not quote unquote smart, which we know now is uh, falsified information. Right. So or ADHD people can't read as much as you do or can't, you know pay attention. But I think that's like um, sterile, um, negative stereotypes that were, you know, um, a pattern throughout the education system. And unfortunately, it still is. Right. So always new. Um, yeah. So I don't know the answer to your question, but that's always been how I've known. Mm. Yeah, that, that sounds like a real barrier in terms of those negative stereotypes. And it's curious about whether it it's a problem with school in terms of you finding it hard to pay attention or do you think it would be the, the case even if the class was really engaging like were the teachers really boring was that part of the issue I think it's both right so as folks know like I do do background I do mentoring and coaching for ADHD kids and I think like I don't see this is where I'm kind of confused because I've also been to Europe I've been to other multiple countries you know and unfortunately, I haven't gone and experienced the education system myself over there, right? But in America, I think they're getting way better now with the school system. Um, we definitely have a long way to go, but it was like, read, 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 and answer these questions. And it was just really boring, right? But as we're progressing through this uh, mental health awareness, social emotional awareness era, I realized that most ADHD folks, you know, they do better with visuals. They do better with um, creative arts and writing jotting things down, you know, so, uh, and interacting, right. And it's not, I, you know, from the studies I've read online from sources, it's like these tools that ADHD folks are using are also very helpful for, you know, neurotypical, I think that's the term. Yeah. Neurotypical folks. Right. So now we're learning that not only do ADHD folks are learning better, also the neurotypical folks are learning better as well. Right. Mm. So it has to do with both. Um, and I don't know how things work out in Australia, but my mom actually went to college in Mexico. And my understanding is that when you go to college, you just focus on your subject. And in America, it's not like that at all. You have to have a, they're more of a holistic kind of point of view when it comes 
to academics and I don't feel like I understand it. I understand that we need math. We need all the core values, you know, but I also see like other studies from other countries where they're excelling in academics because they're also just, you know, specializing in their academics or what is interesting to them. Right. So that's something where I like to like engage. I would say it's a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah. Cause I guess it makes it hard if you have to do subjects that you have no interest in and if they're taught in a, a generic way, I think maths is particularly hard to make interesting unless it's made very specific. I had this excellent mathematics class where I was doing a carpentry course and all of the questions were about if you're building a house, how much concrete do you need in order to fill this hole? Calculate the volume of concrete required so you can see immediately how it's applicable. But I think often in the math classes that I did, it was very abstract. It's like, do this integral and there's no connection with how you would ever apply it. I wonder if that's what it's like in the, the liberal arts education that you're talking about. Is it because they're trying to appeal to absolutely everyone? They have to make it so dilute and generic that it's appealing to no one. Oh, yeah, I, I can could, I could imagine, you know, like, yeah, but like, I mean, yeah. I think it's, see, and this is where I'm kind of confused too. So my boyfriend has ADHD. He's getting diagnosed right now, um, but he's an engineer. He loves math, absolutely loves it, which I just think that also shows how ADHD people can, doesn't really have to matter, you know, like it is what you want, you're interested of grasping, right? So I think it has to do with that. And I don't know, it's just, it's a really difficult thing to engage in. And like, I I think math is, a complicated subject as well, right? But for um, college, you're supposed to do a a science class, and I decided to do geography. I love geography, but I had um, it was weather mapping, so it's weather mapping with stats, right? And even though I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of math, and I would go as close to say I highly dislike it. But when it came to geography and doing the formula to coordinate the maps and gauge how fast this tornado was going I loved it I easy easy a right so it also I feel like maybe we engage students and okay you have to do a math class but these are the subjects in math because math is you know it can apply in all subjects if you really think about it right so how do we get the mathematical curriculum adjusted to your interest right so that's mm -hmm. another thing where I got like, hey, why is it that I'm so good at math when it comes to making geography maps you know and kind of like testing how fast a tornado or an earthquake is going, right? So there were formulas I had to learn to be able to do these um, these maps as well, right? Yeah, that makes total sense that when it's applied, it's much more interesting. Mm -hmm, of course. What's it been like since it sounds like in high school, your mom didn't want you to get diagnosed because of concern about stigma? Is it something that you, you looked into yourself later in life? It is. And and it was a very complicated progress because, or like I guess process, because um, I finished university with no medication, which I don't know if you, I feel like you could relate. It was really hard and unlimited amounts of caffeine. Caffeine was my best friend, uh, self-medicated, self right? And I was told by numerous professors, hey, you should look into maybe you have ADHD because I would receive Bs and Cs and they're like, how is it that? in class you're so engaged you're like hyper focused but when you take the test it's almost like this anxiety ball comes over you and hovers over you right and so they would tell me hey let's get diagnosed unfortunately in college I was mis misdiagnosed with anxiety 
and they only checked it once. And I was like, okay, they must be right. Right. And I was young. I was only 18, 19, you know, and in America or in California, you know, our health system is not the very best. Um, I was privileged enough that after college, I got a full-time job that paid for the testing. And even then I still had to pay $300 out of pocket. Right. And, you know, $300 hurts your pocket, you know, regardless if it's like you have the income or you don't have the income, it's something that you're like, okay, I have to do this. Well, I would want to do this because I want to like find the answer. I never wanted to get diagnosed with ADHD, right? I wanted to know if I had it or not, because I believe that self-awareness is the key to, um, you know, kind of progressing, right? Um, And so if you don't have health insurance, it's $5,000. So it also like kind of like, I think for me, it's, it, it really shined a light on the perspective of like inequality and how much, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like for folks that are undiagnosed or don't even know that they have ADHD and how horrible their life must be, you know, in the sense that they're not even aware of this, right? It's I think like even being aware makes a difference or being educated about it makes a difference, you know? Um, so that's how I got. And, you know, even then I did I researched ADHD for five years because, again, I was really scared about, like, all these taboo, stereotypical uh, messages about medication. And, you know, if you have ADHD, you're not smart and stuff. And this is, like, I think for me, that's something that I shared when we first communicated was, like, there's so many people that have ADHD and they're really smart, you know. It's, like, what is smart? You know, we talk about um, professors and researchers now saying that they think Albert Einstein had ADHD, you know, and um, it's just really interesting, like how it's almost like, I wonder if society, this capitalized society is making it harder for ADHD folks, right? As in, I was like, ADHD stuff happening, I just forgot my thought, but what I'm saying is like, yeah, like that was the process itself. And that's how I got diagnosed. I think that society's way of living also makes it a little worse, you know, because if I go to Spain, which I've been it's almost like they make life so much easier. Like everyone wakes up later on, everything's a nightlife. And as you know, ADHD people like, you know, for the majority, I don't want to, you know, say everyone's like this, right? It seems like I did well. Like I didn't even take my medications. One's like, one, I can't take them over there, right? But two, it seemed like life was so much better because they, it was almost like they were adaptive to my ADHD lifestyle where we get breaks, you know, they have these siestas from like two to four, get a break and that was really cool and then everyone walks right so we're looking at these like these fact environmental factors that play a key um purpose right like like we know that technology makes adhd worse right and stuff like that so it also is like okay if you're walking everywhere you're getting dopamine right if you're getting breaks you're getting dopamine so i'm wondering how are we able to adapt this capitalistic culture into a, a more neural neurodivergent inclusive environment for everyone yeah, and it's probably better for everyone, like you were saying before, with the learning styles that adapting the environment in that way so people can walk around instead of needing to drive everywhere. And I think an afternoon nap is a pretty awesome way to live. I was yeah. in Spain for a little bit and loved it, that lifestyle too. Oh, did you? Yeah. Where, where in Spain did you go to? I, I wasn't living there. I was on holiday. I rode my bike from San Sebastian all the way down to to Sevilla in the in the south. Oh, Sevilla. Mm. Yeah. I've never been. I just went to Madrid and Barcelona and I'm trying to convince myself to go this year and go to, you know, Sevilla because I heard it's amazing and beautiful, so much culture. Yeah, really beautiful. 
Yeah, well, the what you were saying about the $5,000 for an assessment just blows my mind because it must be a massive barrier. There's stats around unemployment rates being a lot higher in people with ADHD. So I imagine the, the number of people who would have health insurance to pay for it would be quite low. And it's sort of a, a cycle of disadvantage that you get stuck in not being able to have it treated and then it makes it harder to earn money, which makes it impossible to pay for the assessment. Hopefully that changes in the future. I think it's yeah, you know, still a, a problem in Australia, even though we have the public healthcare system, which can pay for it, but the wait lists are very long. So it's uh, a bit of a challenge everywhere. Let's move on to talking about your work. Tell us a bit about the, the different projects you're involved in. Yeah, most definitely. So I do ADHD coaching and learning coaching private educator at this moment. Um, I'm currently um, going to school to become an educational therapist, you know, and part of the work I do is make plans and learn the learning styles of different students so they can better adapt it um, and do workshops for parents because, and I, you know, I shared my PowerPoint with you when I share this information when parents, they're kind of like, they get the aha movement moment where they're like, oh, I wonder this works, you know? And so that is my work right now. Right now, currently I'm actually working on I think it's before we started, I was telling you, I'm getting more creative. I learned how to do websites currently. I'm learning, you know, social media, graphic designing. And so my goal with that is to provide digital educational resources to folks with ADHD. So that's part of my, I guess, project right now would be doing that. You know, um, I feel very passionate about this. Um, I love social media. I love creating. I'm a very like um, creative person. I would say not like super creative, but I'm there, you know, Um so I think we have choices right now. Either we're talking about technology, it could be bad for you, right? You obviously know like the, the science behind that, right? So my whole perspective is either we get behind or we grow with it and make something out of it and use it to help the public, you know, because it's like we were saying, like, this is a big, huge problem for people that can't afford, you know, healthcare or even folks that are not even aware about this. So I think for me, my perspective is instead of looking at the negatives, let's learn how, learn how we can use technology, especially with the AI, right? There are artificial intelligence everyone's scared of. Okay, we have this going, you know, it's here. What are we going to do about it? And for me, I decided I'm going to learn AI. I'm going to learn how to develop websites. I'm going to learn how to do this graphic design to get these resources out because it is, you know, I would, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to help everyone, but if I can get pieces of information out worldwide and just help one person be like, hey, I think I might have ADHD or let me try that skill, you know, and make their life a little bit easier. I think that's, you know, eventually the goal, you know, um, you know, having these digital resources out for folks. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I love that you're probably combating some of the negative stereotypes that you encountered when you were in high school, being able to explain the positive aspects as well. Is that part of what you do with your outreach? Yes, trying to get, you know, get rid of the stereotypes, you know, um, again, like I said, like, I think these negative stereotypes are really harming, you know, the neurodivergences community. It's very hurtful, you know, um, I see it in schools now, and it makes me really sad. I kind of want to cry sometimes when I think about this, where there's students that the doctor has told them, hey, you know, you have ADHD, and mom doesn't want to prescribe kiddo a medication because that means that they go to a special education class but yet I've seen students with ADHD that aren't you know they're just normal kids that are hyper focused you know I've seen somebody a kiddo that was special ed D 
do a whole website because I taught them how to do it, right? So these stereotypical things are really just harming society and yeah, you know, finding those stereotypical things and like thinking about how uh, something that I really focus on is about like how marginalized communities and lower economic minorities tend to have ADHD more, but they tend to be less diagnosed. Why? Because they don't have the medical coverage and why? Because there's no educational resources. So that's something that I've been really focusing on because it's like, I think, and this is where the scarcity comes in today's age. We think that, Oh, you know, I know I'm not like this. If I read something, I want to cross reference multiple sources. Right. But there's folks that will see something they're like, that makes sense. Right. And so for me, it's very important to put those, those numbers and those science and those factual studies out there. So people can understand like, this is like actual truth. This is science. This is, you know, this, this includes studies. Right. So stuff like that. And also like, also focusing on like, for me, it's like how beneficial is exercise, how beneficial is meditation, how beneficial is taking your fish oil, your magnesium, which is also increasing your dopamine, you know? And I tell people, you don't have to medicate yourself. You don't have to go on medication if that's not what you want to do. But there's other, other things that we also can do, right? That can help you better your concentration and your focusing style. Mm, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So it's amazing that you're... <laughs> you're putting the science backed information out there. So it sounds like you're pretty busy. You've got your, your work and your study and all these outreach efforts that you're doing. What do you do in your free time? <laughs> I think this goes in correlation to what it's also the bad habits I was trying to kill off was that on my free time, I definitely hike a lot. I travel. I like, you know, doing the hiking hippie, I guess, quote unquote movement. Um, it's funny because when I go to Europe, they're like, you're from California. I can see it already. And I think it's cute, you know? Um, so I do those, but like, honestly, I think for me, for the free moment, I do like graphic design. I like doing social media content. I like putting stuff out there, which is a little hard to, you know, that's, that's, that's really interesting. We have talked about this because all my life I've been doing media. I've been doing communications. I've been doing education. And it's great that I'm hyper-focused on somewhere where my work is at, you know, but at the same time, I, and I, I do tend to have a hard time not focusing from there because not only am I hyper-focused on something that's kind of distracting, but I love, and it's part of my work. And on top of that, I'm really artistic. They say artists are the worst critics. I really believe that because you see one little small thing and it's like, why is that that shape? equal with this other shape or why is this color contrasted differently than the other color and it's just really you know it's that hyper fixation and being super um a perfectionist right because I thought I had let go of that perfectionist side of me I was like oh no no you're doing better you're you don't have that but it's still interesting when it's something as passionate as I feel like with ADHD or mental health the hyper focus comes in and that perfectionism and hard critic comes in yeah know what you mean there can be <laughs> Hard to, to know when to stop refining things. Yes. In terms of your morning, you were talking about how in Spain they wake up a bit later and they have a, a crazy start to the day. Is that something that you've been able to adopt? I don't think it is. I think you said you wake up at something very, very early, 4 a.m. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. We had this conversation before, right? Yeah. So mm. it's really hard for me. I'm not going to lie. I think the I've been doing that for three years now. The worst part was the first year. Um, one, ADHD people tend to be night owls. Two, ADHD people tend to also have, I think it was like they made a study, correct me if I'm wrong, and I can reference check that, 
60% of ADHD people have, uh, but it's a sleepless leg syndrome, which means you toss and turn a lot during the night. And um, fortunately, very fortunate enough, I also have sleep apnea. So it's like, oh, okay, I have all these contributing factors, right, that lead to like unhealthy sleeping habits. So, you know, try to stick to two cups of coffee a day at the very most, right? Uh, so waking up at 4.30 has n- not been the easiest, but I'm really thankful that I have done that because um, in America or in California, it's really beneficial when it comes to my ADHD in the sense that I get up in the morning, I <laughs> I have my coffee ready, you know, and we need that dopamine hit. And then I have my medication on my side table, ready, take it. And so as social media is also part of my job, I took 30 minutes for my ADHD medication to settle in, go on my phone, look at the trends of social media because it's part of my job. I'm like, okay, let's do this might as well as the medication comes in, relax. Okay. By then it's five. I meditate for 13 to 15 minutes every single day. Um, They say that I want to say Harvard University came out with a study saying that 13 minutes is when you get, you start getting the benefits. So I try to put that timer on. We get that started. And then um, I try very hard to sometimes put like these like calming music after my medication, you know, because I want to be in the zone when I medicate or like why I meditate. Right. And waiting for the medication to hit in. And then I don't you know, this one's a really hard for me to do. I started doing it recently and it's just really easy for me to turn on some indie music or some sort of music that I like. But as you know, ADHD comes with shame. So I have this um, self-affirmation podcast. I listened to her. Um, I forgot her name. I want to look her up. And I put it in the background while I'm doing my makeup. Um, it's three minutes long. You know, ADHD people can't hold their focus very much more longer. So it's a lot of like rewiring, right? Because um, also being mindful, like we've been told a lot of negative things. And this is why I told folks, even if you decide not to go on medication, even if you do go on medication, whatever the case, whatever route it is that you take, please go to therapy because we don't understand how much shame has been wired to us being you're not worthy or enough, or you're not, you know, as productive as you could be, or you're also so hard on yourself. I don't know about you, but for me personally speaking, you know, I'm like, well, you could have done that faster. You could have done this better. You know, there's a lot of like self-critical things that we do to each other to shame ourselves, you know, um, even the words you use. And luckily enough, I think that I always tell people, they're like, how are you such a good communicator? And I was like, I got into communications because I thought I was a horrible communicator. Little did I know it was the ADHD as well. So that's how that got started. Right. So being mindful. So I put on those positive affirmations for three minutes, you know, my clothes is always ready a day before that. Once, you know, I get up, I go to the gym from 6.30 to 7.30, take a shower at the gym, and then my day gets started like that. Because I think it's also really important, like, timers are your best friends. I always tell this to people, like, I don't journal every single day, you know, I journal like three times a week. But even putting those three minutes of just, if even if you can't journal, bullet point. Because what we don't understand is that sometimes our feelings as people with ADHD we can't really regulate our feelings as well as neurotypical people. Um, so being mindful, and I swear that has changed my life, just doing that in the morning. But that's usually what, you know, the formation or the structure of my mornings consist of. It's really admirable. I'm, I'm in awe getting up consistently for three years at 4.30am, something I'd mm-hmm. like to move towards. You can definitely do it. I promise you. And nobody's up in that at that time. So you get so much done because we love to be distracted, right? We know this. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm saying like, 
the morning really works out for me because I'm not getting distracted by anyone. It's like, who's up at 4.30? No one. So it's great in that mm. term. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you, you go to the gym and then you said you start your day. What do you do to optimize your productivity during your day? Low five is my best friend. I love low five because it's just the beats, right? And as we know, and I think it's 540 HZ. I should have wrote this down. But there's certain beats and you can look them up on YouTube and on Spotify or whatever like music platform you're using that actually makes these these beta waves, they make you concentrate more. So I'll put that during the background. And definitely like I know they always tell me like oh, ADG people don't can't can't use a planner. Right. And, you know, I understand that. So I do have a calendar, you know, Um but writing stuff down makes your life easier a hundred percent. Like it's just writing stuff down. And this is what I tell folks, even if you don't want to do it, even if it's one or two things, because as you're scratching that or putting that, that marking that to-do list, you're getting dopamine hits as you're doing that. Right. So being mindful of that, you know, taking breaks. And if I notice myself that, for example, I can't concentrate, I have this realistic goal where it boosts up my confidence, right? I'll be like, hey, let's just do 15 minutes right now, right? What happens is like those 15 minutes come out like a breeze and then I end up doing my work anyways, right? Because at that, I'm already in the zone. That makes any sense. Yeah, I love that. It's the same for me. It's just that task initiation that's the hard part. And then after that, get into the zone and it's easier to keep going. Yes, I agree. And one other thing that helps a lot of people is taking breaks. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back in a little bit. Hello there. This is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I've been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. We'll shrink the intimidating dragon of a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. Okay, we're back and keen to hear now about a habit that you'd like to remove from your life. I think you might have been talking about it before in terms of the perfectionism when you're working on graphic design and the shapes don't match. Is that where you were going to go with this question? Yes, of course. Um, and like, again, I feel like I, I definitely feel like I'm blessed or I guess I'm lucky that whatever I'm passionate about seems to be where the future is going with AI and graphic design and social media. But it also it can definitely be a distraction. Like learning how to set those boundaries is really tough when it comes to graphic design. With every other aspect of my life, I'm like, it's perfect. It's done. We're, we're doing a good job. But when it comes to art, digital art, it's just really hard for me to like switch over. Mm, so are you using mid-journey and tools like that to try and create the dig digital art? Or how do you how do you do it? Yeah, so there's and I think that's what so that's where I'm like, oh, okay. So it's called Canva. Oh yeah. I don't know where. Mm. So I use Canva, but I have the premium. So what I do a lot is like remove things from the background. I do digital free drawing, like I do Adobe Photoshop, Adobe. I think it's like graphic design, InDesign. Like I use, I use multiple platforms to do stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, I think now we live in this interesting world where we have a camera right in our phone and it's just videotapes and you are, you're a vlogger at the go, right? And, you know, that's where like, again, like that's where I struggle the most at. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, my my co-host Joey, who couldn't join us today, I think he's similar that there's been a few times where he's been working on a digital artwork and he stays up until 3 a.m. because he just wants to keep on refining it and refining it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I I get frustrated by it and just give up and I I hired <laughs> graphic designers to do it for me because I don't feel like something that I want to do. But I'm glad that people like you love doing it. But hopefully there's it's possible to set those boundaries as well. So in terms of you get up at 4:30 a.m. and I think you were saying that in order to achieve that you go to bed quite early as well. You were aiming yes. for seven and a half hours of sleep. So is it maybe go to bed at, is it 8 p.m. that you go to bed or what time would you go to bed normally? It depends. It's usually from 8 to 8.30, you know. So basically what I do, I melatonin three milligrams before bedtime. So we have to wait for like, everyone's different. That's what I tell everyone. And for folks that don't know, our body naturally produces melatonin, which is the chemical that helps us go to sleep, right? And actually... I'm just such a nerd when it comes to this neuroscience stuff. I love talking about stuff like this. Um, or folks don't know that some the ADHD people sometimes with ADHD folks, we don't produce the melatonin as neurotypical folks. So that can also be a leading factor why we're not going to sleep as early, right? Um, there's so many factors. I mean, there's so much science and data that's being you know collected as we speak, right? Um, so I have that melatonin two hours. So by the time it's 8, 8.30, we're, we're ready to go. Um, and I also, and I bought this cute, like, um, Amazon, it's like this machine that's a massage, like a little chair massage thing. And so basically at night, I'll just like lay down on it. And it's like, I want to say I bought it for like $30 on Amazon and it had good reviews. I bought it over, bought it. And what I do is just relaxes my muscles, relaxes my, you know, when those moments where I can't, you know, those transition places for ADHD folks, it's just it can be a little tough sometimes, you know? So as I'm doing that, I'll put that down and it just helps me relax as well. I love that. So you put it on the back of the chair, do you? And then it it's a massage roller? Yeah, let me show you. I actually have it. It's so, uh, let me see. I don't know where it's at. I wish I can show you. It's like this cute little thing and it's like a chair massage, but you connect it and it, I'm trying to look for it and I can't find it. But yeah, it's connected underneath, right? Um, but it's really small. It's like this. So it's like this, like I would mm. say, like, it's just, it's the the top of your, you know, of your back because I, you know, what I noticed us ADHD people love spending money. At least I do for dopamine. <laughs> so mm. I was constantly going, I was constantly going to get massages and I was like, oh, I'm spending a lot of money in this. Let's find a way on how I can get the both, the best of both worlds. And that was what I came up with. And it actually worked because I did catch myself spending money to go get massages weekly. I was like, no, 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 I can't do this anymore. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, amazing. I'll have to check that out. Anything else that you use to, to help you wind down in the evening? I don't know. Maybe marketing podcasts, just because that's something I'm passionate about. So at this point, I may utilize like a marketing podcast, you know, listen to a self-care podcast. Um, I do love, you know, what I love and I feel like it has been very helpful has been taking um, showers to meditation music because I do these cleansings, you know, and, you know, um, I, I feel like, you know, get the glimpse. I'm a very scientific person, but I also believe like, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Right. So also processing throughout the night, like, oh, okay, this is what I want to get rid of. Like kind of just because there's a visual, you're able to like disclose or disregard, you know, any negative thoughts you had, which again, I hate, uh, I shouldn't use the word hate. See, this is where I'm like, okay, I could, um, I dislike, um, 
when we use, when we, there's this term in America, it's called toxic positivity. I don't know, it's in Australia, where it's like being too positive. I feel like that also can hurt the mental health and the ADHD community because, you know, something that I would advise people to do and has helped me greatly is just embrace it, the, being uncomfortable. Just embrace it because then that's great. You know, it just makes you feel better or like exposure therapy, which I don't recommend everyone doing it, but exposure therapy basically is, you know, I have really bad anxiety. Um, and I think has some of it has to do with my ADHD, right? Um, you close your eyes and you think about, okay, what's the worst that could happen if this thing happens? You live it and then anxiety goes away. Or if I'm having a restless night, I'll write down my thoughts or write my to-do list for tomorrow. And it's like, okay, now I'm not thinking about it. These racing thoughts are very like, you know, common with folks like us. And um, so doing things like that really does help, help me a lot. Yeah. I think thinking about what could go wrong and being able to, to experience those feelings is a, a really helpful approach. I try and do that too. Yeah. It's really helpful. One question with, see, so you, you start pretty early and you switch off in the evening and but this is a question that I struggle with a bit as well is how do you find time with your partner? Cause I, I sometimes struggle with that as well. I have dinner with my wife that it sometimes feels like, cause I've got so much that I'm trying to achieve in the evening and throughout the day can feel a bit squeezed. Yeah. That's a really good question. And that's a really good question. That was one of the things we talked about when we were first dating. Uh, I, I think I'm very lucky to have a partner that also has ADHD and not only that, um, He's he's super smart. I'm not I'm not just saying that because he's my partner, but in the terms that he also wakes up early, he also has his magnesium. Like he's also very like no, like Liz, like this is my boundaries, and I want to take care of myself too. Because he, I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but he's you know, imagine having ADHD and being stuck in an engineering government office in a cubicle for like eight hours. I think you would kind of go crazy yourself, right? So he understands like these are the things I need to be productive, you know. Um, so that's very helpful. Um, the weekends are great because we can hang out all all the time. And I think also I'm very lucky that um, my partner has a hybrid position. So he only goes to the office once a week. So they're very, we were talking about this the other day, we're like very lucky to have a very like work-life balance, work environment, right? And I know that some people don't have that. So I can see how that's that's hard, you know? And I think that's where it's like, you know, we think that there's not jobs like that, but there really is. I think if, you know, there's, um, I was listening to a podcast. I listened to, to so many things, but I was listening <laughs> to this one particular, yeah, in particular podcast and it's talking about like, look for an ADHD work environment friendly culture. It makes such a huge difference when you have people that are understanding and, and, you know, they're very inclusive when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, so important. And I think the for me, being able to work from home most of the time really helps. We'll go through the, the final couple of questions. You've mentioned a, a few resources, including exposure therapy and some of the, the other science-backed information. Are there any particular resources, any podcasts that you'd recommend that people check out or apps or other other gadgets that you found helpful? Yeah, most definitely. I, you know, maybe I can talk about this, but there's one called ADHD Experts. And oh, I love this girl. That's the one, the one I told you about. Um, what's her name? Or oh, she goes, um, what the ADHD, right? She, I, she has 
small clips and they're very, she really does an amazing job, you know, simplifying what is ADHD, how like everything works. She has anything from like time management to like, you know, we can definitely like share, you know, um, her link and stuff. But I, when I was getting diagnosed, you know, um, she was so amazing, you know, cause I was like, even if I don't have ADHD, like these are helpful tools. Right. But it was really, it was really interesting to see how she like makes things in a simple terms, because I don't know about you guys. That's where like, I get a little like irritable, you know, being honest. It's like sometimes the material that's put out there for ADHD folks is very much like scientific or much advanced, you know? And like, it, I can see how it can make it difficult for some folks to understand it, you know? And it's like, do we not understand that, like, you know, not everyone is at the same reading level. I think that's another thing that, you know, we can work on as a society. Yeah, definitely important to make it simple without dumbing it down. It sounds like mm-hmm. those podcasts are able to do that. Mm-hmm. How about your own, your own social media presence? Where can people connect with you and find the information that you're putting out? Yeah, right now I do have my LinkedIn and I can po- I can share it. I was like a little nervous, <laughs> but I can definitely share that. I actually made my own um, Instagram professional profile. I wanted something just to be mine, you know? So um, let me see. I have it right here. It's like... Um, we can put it in the show notes afterwards, but if you have it, oh, hand, feel free to read it up. Yeah, Lizzie, and then it goes underscore Liz and then underscore. So we can definitely put there. I think it's a little complicated. It has a couple of Zs and a couple of Es in there, but we can definitely put it underneath. Yeah, cool. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. And any final words or asks for our audience? I think this is one I struggle with. Embrace your ADHD and know that your ADHD isn't who you are. Um, which we're all different, you know, we're all unique and special in our own way. Don't let this like these negative stereotypical, you know, these narrow stereotypes identify you because you're so much more than a diagnosis. Love it. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.